What a blessing and what a preparation. Thank you, dear brother. Wonderful songs, and the explanation was top-notch. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 today as we continue to work through the Lord's Prayer in this series that we're calling A Simple Way to Pray, where we've seen the Lord Jesus gives the disciples a model prayer. And this is what verses 9 through 11 say. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the word of God. You can be seated. And please bow with me. Father, we're grateful for your word. What a gift. What a treasure it is. We thank you that you inspired holy men of old, that you moved them along, Lord, by the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what you wanted written. Lord, thank you for faithful men like that. And thank you for faithful men who came after them, who translated these scriptures in languages that we can understand. Lord, thank you that we have grown up in such a way and in such a place where we know how to read, we can read, and we have multiple um, blessings, multiple avenues to get the Word of God within our minds. And we pray that you would now take it into our hearts, Lord. Our sitting in this room, those listening online, Lord, apply your eternal truths to our hearts, please. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I had wanted a motorcycle of my own for many, many years, and roughly seven or eight years ago, uh, I finally got one. But before getting one, I knew that I better take a motorcycle riding class because I just wanted to make sure that I did it all very safely, and that I was very proficient on this machine before taking it out on the road. My class that I went in to learn to ride uh, was conducted at one of the Harley-Davidson facilities, and I had about eight students in this class that I was in. Uh, Most, all of us, except for one, were new riders. And the class started, of course, by just going over the basics of road safety. And then we got to actually get on the motorcycles and learn the clutch and the gears. And then we got to maneuver around at slower speeds and then at higher speeds. And we went through cones and learned how to go over bumps and how to turn a curve and then go into a straightaway smoothly and all that. Well, on the last day, the instructors were calling us back one by one to let us know if we've passed and also to critique us in anything that we needed maybe some help in. And so I go back there when they call me. And the instructors are sitting across from me. And they look at each other and they look at me. And they lean in and they say, so you've never ridden a motorcycle before? And I said, well, I mean, when I was 14, I had a friend who had a dirt bike. And I mean, I rode it like two or three times. But otherwise, no, I just rode my bike a lot when I was young. They said, you were the the best one in the class, even better than the guy who's been riding, because he's picked up a lot of bad habits, and we're just perplexed by this. Well, I attribute my proficiency on a motorcycle, and it coming, I guess, more naturally to me than others. I attribute that to the fact that I loved riding my bike when I was young. 
I rode my bike all the time. I just loved it. My parents moved into a neighborhood when I was roughly 11 or 12 called Cahaba Hills. And it was called Cahaba Hills because of all the hills. And I rode my bike all around that neighborhood. And what I found was there were certain hills, after you trudged all the way to get to the top, that you could go down on your bike and get up to speeds that were about as fast as a vehicle would go. And I really loved that. But you have to be pretty good on a bike to be able to do that because it's pretty scary once you start going as fast as vehicles go. But doing that again and again and riding my bike day after day all around that neighborhood, I just really enjoyed it. I was able to basically see what that bike was capable of. I was able to become very proficient on the bike, knew what it could do, what it couldn't do, um, get out of it everything that was enjoyable. But it didn't start that way. Learning to ride a bike, for me, was actually a really bad experience. (laughs) I didn't start out loving to ride a bike. I remember as a kid trying to ride a bike, falling down, scraping my knee, getting frustrated, and then my dad thought, I'll do what dads do. I'll go out there and help my son ride this bike. Well, it turns out I wasn't very good at learning how to ride it. And so I was falling and not doing very well, and he was getting frustrated and losing his patience and trying and trying again. And I wanted to quit, and he, no, you're going to learn. And of course, well, that didn't make anything any better. And so that day of learning how to ride a bike ended in tears and frustration. So it started off badly, (laughs) the whole learning to ride the bike experience. But you know what? Once I learned how to do it, the better I got at it. The better I got at it, the more I enjoyed it. The more I enjoyed it, the more I wanted to do it. And the more I did it, the more it felt like the bike just became a part of who I was. Well, let me tell you something. Prayer is a lot like that, too, okay? When it comes to prayer... Once you learn to do it, the better you get at it. And the better you get at it, the more you enjoy it. And the more you enjoy it, the more you do it. And the more you do it, prayer just becomes a part of who you are. And that's just the truth. And that's why I'm trying to help you learn how to pray even better. And I want to make it simple. And I believe the Lord Jesus wanted to make it simple as well. Prayer can become a part of who you are. Church, I want to encourage you with that. If you struggle with prayer, much like I struggled with the bike thing, it can become a part of who you are. And I believe that if you're truly a Christian, you you want that for yourself, don't you? you? You want to be a person who prays. It just, you want it to be natural for you. So much so that people can even recognize that it's natural in you. Two weeks ago, I told you that we'd be coming to a sermon where we would talk about our needs, um, how praying about our needs fits into the Lord's prayer, and therefore it fits into our own lives as well. Well, we've gotten to that section, and that's why I've titled the sermon this morning, Prayer is About Our Need. Remember two weeks ago, 
Prayers about God. Last week, prayers about a kingdom. Today, prayers about our needs. The section of the Lord's Prayer that we're covering this week says, Give us this day our daily bread, which starts with the word give. Jesus is telling us, pray this way, give us this day our daily bread. It starts with the word give. We go to the Father saying, give. And by beginning our prayers with that word, it acknowledges something. For example, if you came to me and said, Cohen, give me a million dollars. Well, number one, as we say here in the South, you're barking up the wrong tree. You know why? Because I don't have a million dollars. You're coming to me thinking I've got something and I don't have it. When we go to God and we're asking him to give us this day our daily bread, we're asking him to give us anything by acknowledging God as the giver, if we're just saying that word, we're acknowledging you can do this. You have the ability to do this. You are the great provider. You're the ultimate provider, which is why we give thanks before we eat, because we recognize that his was the hand that is ultimately giving this to me, correct? So by asking him to give, I'm acknowledging that he has the capability to give me what I'm asking for, number one. Okay, that's good. That's good that he can meet my needs. It's good that he's the provider. But I want to show you two foundational levels that are under that great truth, that he's the giver, that he's the provider. It'll help you pray even better. Listen to what Paul says to the... Philippians in Philippians 4.19. It's on the screen behind me. Philippians 4.19. He says this on this same topic. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My God will supply every need of yours. How, Paul? According to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So how does he meet our every need? Two ways according to this verse. Number one, according to his riches and glory. He can meet your needs because he possesses all resources. All riches are his. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. God says this. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. Corrie ten Boom was once praying, and she said, Lord, please meet our needs. We know that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, so could you please sell one and give us the resources? <laughs> God also says this in Job 41.11, Who has given to me that I should repay him? Obviously, it's no one. God doesn't owe anyone any debts because he possesses all things. And he says this, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. So God can meet all your needs because he possesses all things. Everything is his. Everything. Paul mentions a second thing when telling the Philippians that God can meet their every need. He says that these riches and glory 
are in Christ Jesus. Did you see? Did you see that as well? Why mention that? Why not just stop there at the part where my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory? Why not just stop there? Why mention in Christ Jesus? Why did he say this is necessary? I need to add this part as well. I'll tell you why it's necessary. Without Jesus, you have no access to those resources. Why is that? Before we become Christians, the Bible makes clear that we're actually enemies of God. Listen to Romans 5. Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. Because, listen, you're either an enemy of God or a child of God. That's it. Those are the only two options. For while if we were... I'm sorry, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus. Why, Paul? Through whom we have now received reconciliation. We don't speak about being reconciled unless there's been a split, right? So when we ask God to give us anything, church. We can do that because we're no longer his enemy. Our wicked works are no longer barring us from fellowship with him, no longer barring us from his goodness, his blessings. How? Why? Because Jesus took the punishment that we deserve when he shed his blood, died, took the wrath of God upon himself, was crucified, buried, and rose again from the dead. Our reconciliation comes by believing that the finished work of Christ is sufficient for my salvation. And how do we get that? Of course, we get it by faith. It doesn't just come to us. We have to believe that that's true. We have to believe that his work is sufficient for our salvation. We have to believe that all that he did for us, fully keeping the law on our behalf and fully absorbing the wrath of God that we deserve, all that comes to our account By faith. Only by faith. The request is no longer from an enemy, therefore, but now from a reconciled child through Christ. So yes, we pray, give. Lord, give. Knowing that he can because he's the great provider. Knowing that he can because he has all resources. And knowing that he can because we're now his child by faith in Jesus Christ Christ gets us those resources. And we followed that request with the word us. Give us this day our daily bread. That word reminds us again that we're part of a family. Remember how Jesus started this whole prayer, our Father. We spent time on that a few weeks ago. Yes, I can pray about my needs. You should pray about your needs. You should. But the Lord Jesus makes this corporate. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, pray that God will meet your needs, but pray for your brothers and sisters as well. Pray that God will meet their needs. Be concerned about the whole body. That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. Jesus wants you to not just focus on you, but focus on others. What I've noticed when days when I am maybe having a bit of a pity party about this or that, maybe down in the dumps about this or that. You know what I've noticed on that days? I'm thinking a lot about Cohen. 
And that's usually my problem. What I've noticed on days like that, what I need to do, what gets me out of the funk, is when I go out and focus on others, when I think about others, how can I be a blessing to others? And it, it just, it's like a, it's like a life hack. <laughs> it gets you out of the funk because then you're focusing on others and it's just, it's wonderful. Because of course the enemy wants us to just focus on self, 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 self. Because the world tells you to focus on self, self, self. And the Lord is purposeful in his wording here. Give us this day our daily bread. I'm also concerned about my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray for their needs to be met as well. Why? Because we love one another. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Paul encourages us to have a mind that cares for the interest of others. Listen to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Well, count others more important than yourselves. Let each, you, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. See, this is throughout the Bible. Paul later follows that by showing us that Jesus Christ was the most perfect example of this by reminding us that Jesus Christ didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and died the death that should have been ours. See, Jesus is the most perfect example of counting others more important than yourself and putting others' interests above your own. So God is the great provider who possesses all resources, who can meet our needs through Christ and the needs of my brothers and sisters in the faith as well. But then Jesus does something unexpected. He adds in the when. He starts to focus now on the when of my request. He tells us that we should be concerned about this provision today. Give us this day our daily bread. There are other times in Scripture where Jesus makes it clear that he wants us to be uh, most concerned with the current day as well. There are other times in Scriptures when he puts emphasis yet again on being concerned about today and only today. And it happens actually in the same chapter, which is the same sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to look with me at Matthew 6, 25. Matthew 6, 25 through... 34. Let me just read that to you. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, listen to this, do not be anxious about tomorrow. 
for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So the emphasis of the Lord Jesus is to focus on today. Do you see that? We're praying for today's bread. We're not anxious about tomorrow. We don't live in fear of tomorrow. That's usually where fear comes from, is uncertainty. Almost always, when we are afraid, it's, it's rooted in some type of uncertainty. We're not sure about this or that. Now, sure, let me say this. Let me balance this out, because the Bible does. We're instructed to be wise concerning our goods and concerning our money, like Proverbs tells us, like when the... When Solomon gives the example of the ant, he says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So the principle there is, work hard so that you'll have enough stored up for later. That's the principle. And that's good. That's good counsel. But Jesus puts an emphasis on today, thinking about today, being concerned only for today. Of course, we don't live in fear of tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You're not even a promise tomorrow. You don't know what will happen today. Butch, if you don't mind, I'm going to use you for an example. I guarantee you, that day that they took Butch to the hospital a few weeks ago, I promise you he didn't wake up and say, you know what, I'm probably going to go to the hospital today and stay there for a few days. No clue. He had no clue that that was going to be his reality. Also, years ago, when he fell out of that tree and was in a coma for over a month, yeah, about a month, I promise you he didn't wake up that day saying, you know, I think, I think today might be a good day to be placed into a coma for over a month. No. We are not promised anything about tomorrow. So therefore, the Lord Jesus wants us to just focus on today. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If this evening the Lord visited you and said, In about 10 minutes, I'll be taking you home. And then left. Would you have some type of regret? Would you say, oh gosh, you know, I wish I would have done this more. Or I wish I would have done this less. If that's the case, if if something's popping in your head right now, like, oh gosh, I'm not, I'm not, that's, I mean, that'd be great. I'm I'm going to heaven, but oh my gosh, I really should have been this more. I really should have been this less. Really should have done this more, or really should have done this less. Then, then what's keeping you from that? Whatever's keeping you from one or those things, fight it. You're not taking your fight seriously enough, are you? Fight it, because you're not promised tomorrow. You're not, and Jesus wants us to focus on today in this prayer. And Jesus tells us the secret. It's pretty cool. In that portion that I just read to you, he tells us the secret to praying for God's daily provisions while at the same time not worrying about future provisions because that's the, that's the balance we have to walk, isn't it? 
So Lord, you just want me to you just want me to pray that you would meet today's needs. Yes, I get and yes, I got to balance out being you know a good worker and being frugal with my money. Yes, that. But you want me to focus on just today and not worry about the future? How do I? I need help with that because I worry about the future, Lord. Right? We do. Jesus gave us the secret, and it was in Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. Just seek to be with God and be righteous like God. Everything else will work itself out. We're seeking God for what we need today, our bread and our righteousness. That is what we need. Which brings us to the last point, which is what we're actually asking for. (laughs) Except at this point, we haven't asked for anything yet. Give us this day our daily bread, he says. He tells us to ask for our daily bread. Now that word that's translated, that word daily, give us this day our daily bread. Only Jesus uses that that word. It's a Greek word. I'm not sure the pronunciation. In my studies, I didn't bother to look it up. I just looked up these facts about it. It's only used in the Lord's Prayer. That's recorded both in Matthew and in Luke. Only there is that Greek word used in all the New Testament. Okay? What does it mean? It's best understood as meaning necessary or sufficient. Give us this day our necessary bread. Give us this day our sufficient bread. What's necessary for us today? What's sufficient for us today? We're asking God to give us our necessary necessities. We're asking God to give us our sufficient sustenance. That's what that basically means. Give me what I need for today. Make me content with what I need. This also keeps us from greed. This keeps us from discontentment as well. Think about when you start going after other things that you don't necessarily need. It's usually when you're discontented. Isn't it? Marriages that fail, usually there's some discontentment there. It makes people look for something else. Jobs that maybe fail that that shouldn't. Sometimes it's because you're you're discontented and so maybe people start to self-sabotage things or not do as good at the job. And When you're discontented, it makes you look for something else. The world will tell you to strive and fight and even step on others to get more and more and more. You'll be happy with more. You'll be more content if you have more. Keep trying to get more. That's the best for you is to have more and more and more. Fight. Go get it. Step on people even to get it. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. The world tells you, do this and you'll have greatness. You'll have great gain. If you do this, you'll have great gain. And the Bible says the opposite. Godliness with contentment. That's great gain. That's an amazing verse. That's a very easy verse to put to memory. And a very powerful verse to help you live your life. If you're godly and you're content, wow, what an amazing soldier for the Lord you'll be. 
what an amazing blessing to your family you'll be, your children, your grandchildren, your coworkers, everyone around you, your spouse. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus is trying to make you more like himself by teaching you to pray this way. Did you know that? Jesus is trying to make you more like himself by teaching you to pray this way, and I can't think of anyone else I'd rather be like. Jesus was the most content man who's ever lived. Do you know why? Because he trusted the Father more than any man ever has. Praying this way makes you trust the Father, doesn't it? It does. Give me this day my daily bread and give us this day our daily bread. I'm trusting you to give it. And I'm trusting you to give me what I need, my necessary, sufficient bread. Just like the manna that fell down from the sky for the children of Israel. They were to gather how much? Just what they needed for the day. What would happen if they gathered extra? It would spoil. Yes, God would ruin it. And on the Sabbath day when they were not supposed to go out and gather, the day before the Sabbath... God gave them enough that they could gather for two days and it not spoil. Wow. God is even sovereign over when and how bread spoils. He will take care of all your needs. He's already given us an example of that in the Old Testament as well. Let me end with this. By trusting God for your everyday necessities and for all that's sufficient for you, what you'll find is this. You'll find he comes through no matter what. That's key. I need you to hear that. I need you to hear this. He comes through no matter what. Because what we like to do is, is we like to say, well, but what if, don't we? God will come through no matter what. Well, but, but well, what if I lose my job? What if someone gets, gets cancer? What if, what if all these... Ba- what if this? My statement's still true. God comes through no matter what. Because if you're a believer and something does come into your life, like the loss of a job or cancer, I can guarantee you this by the authority of the Word of God, it was planned. And it's God's will for you. It's God's will for you. Because God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. You're telling me cancer would be God's will? Yes. It can be. You're telling me if I lose my job, that was God's will? It can be. It can be. Now I'm saying it can be because there's sometimes where you do stupid things and you get fired, right? I've never been guilty of that. For those who are listening for the very first time online, this is in the context of a story I told weeks ago about me being a knucklehead teenager who was lost and stealing and getting fired. So there, if someone's listening for the first time, need to put that context in there. But trust in God, you'll find that God comes through no matter what, okay? Church, pray this way. Pray this way that the Lord is telling us and pray with these truths behind it, all these truths that I'm unpacking for you. Walk through this prayer as your model prayer and make it your own. And what you'll find is this, like I said at the beginning, 
Once you learn to do it, the better you get at it. The better you get at it, the more you enjoy it. The more you enjoy it, the more you do it. And the more you do it, the more it becomes a part of who you are. And I'll add this. And the more you see God. Father, we do want to see you, and I pray that you would help us to be a praying people. And I pray that you would please help us to pray rightly and pray better. Lord, give us the grace to pray Scripture. Lord, help us when we're struggling to walk through this model prayer of yours like we're doing in this series. And I pray that it would be fuel for our prayer. I pray that it would help us to get better at it and to enjoy it more and to do it more and make it a part of who we are. Please, Father, we want to be like your dear son Jesus, so please help us to pray like he teaches us to pray. And we pray this in his name. Amen.